Today I'm calling the word the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are in Acts chapter 7. And I'm going to read the last couple of verses from Acts chapter 6 to bring us up to date. The last two verses. And certain hostile Jews set up false witnesses against Stephen who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this temple and the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face shone like the face of an angel. So now we start in Acts chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Is this true? Because of all the things that he said about the temple and Moses. In order for Stephen to defend himself, he determined to enter into a detailed account of their history. Going back to Abraham, from the commencement of their nation and then through to the story of Jacob's son Joseph, who was beaten up by his brothers, left abandoned, supposed dead. Joseph was taken to Egypt as a slave of Pharaoh, who later made him the governor of the entire region. Joseph brought Jacob and his brothers into Egypt, saving them from the famine which was over the whole land. And there the twelve tribes of Israel grew into a nation. And after Joseph died, these tribes became slaves of the pharaohs for 400 years. Then Moses is born and miraculously preserved from the edict of the cruel ruling pharaoh to put all the Hebrew children to death. But Moses is saved by Pharaoh's daughter and brought up in the courts of the Pharaoh and even looked after by his own mother. Moses knows he's called to be a deliverer of his people, but one day, at 40 years of age, he recklessly slays an Egyptian who is brutalising one of his Hebrew brothers, and in doing so, he alienates his Hebrew brothers who reject him, saying, Who put you in charge of us? He's also rejected by the rulers of Egypt, and, it is, and he is then forced to flee into the wilderness where he lives in exile for 40 years. We pick up the narrative in verse 32 where God has just spoken to Moses in the wilderness through an angel who appears to him in a burning bush. Reading now from verse 32. An angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush and Moses heard God's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God said, kneel and pray. You're in a holy place, on holy ground. I've seen the agony of my people in Egypt and I've heard their cries of distress and I've come to help them and I'm sending you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they earlier rejected, saying, Who put you in charge of us? So this is Stephen relating their history to them. 
This is the Moses that God sent back as ruler and redeemer. He led them out of their slavery. God did miracles for Israel at the Red Sea and out in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses told the people, God will raise up a prophet just like me from your descendants. This is the Moses who gave the life-giving words of the commandments to Israel, but our fathers resisted them. They made a golden calf idol and brought sacrifices to it. God let them go on doing it their way, to worship every new god that came across their path. And they lived with the consequences, as described by the prophet Amos. Did you bring me offerings of animals and grain, O Israel? Hardly. You were too busy worshipping war gods and sex goddesses, and I put you into exile in Babylon. God had Moses make a tabernacle for true worship, made to God's exact blueprint. They had it with them as they followed Joshua, when God gave them the land of Canaan, and still had it to the time of David. David had asked God if he could build a temple for Israel to worship him. But God asked Solomon to build his temple. So all of this resistance by Israel to God's goodness led Stephen to the conclusion that God could no longer bear with them and a time of judgment had come upon them. The whole story of Stephen's defence revolves around the temple, God's dwelling place where God meets with mankind. Stephen teaches them through their scriptures from Isaiah that God was going to one day make a new kind of temple with his own hands. It will be a living temple, God's people as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we read in verses 48 to 50, Stephen is quoting Isaiah. However, the highest God does not dwell in temples made by the hands of men. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of a house will you build for me, says the Lord, or where is my resting place? Will not my hands do this? Stephen then begins to condemn the council on the two major features of his revelation. First, that God's temple was to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, that they would come under God's judgment for always resisting the Holy Spirit. And so now we hear the words of condemnation, the last few verses. Book of Acts chapter 7 has got 60 verses. We've just summarised it, but we're up to verse 51 now. Stephen speaking to the men on the council. You are all willful and stubborn, hard of heart and unwilling to listen. Always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing exactly what your forefathers have always done. They persecuted every prophet sent to them and killed the ones who prophesied of the coming of the Messiah, whom you yourselves have just betrayed and murdered. You were privileged to receive the commandments, commandments that you have not even kept. 
On hearing Stephen say this, they went into a rage and began snarling at him. But Stephen, full of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It's interesting that we read in the Bible that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. But when Jesus stands, he rises in judgment. You see that twice in Isaiah and, and in other areas in the prophets where God rises up to judge. And Stephen says, I saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They all began to yell viciously and put their hands over their ears, rushing at him altogether. They dragged him out of the city and stoned him. They laid their outer robes for safekeeping at the feet of a young man called Saul. As they stoned Stephen, he called upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not lay this sin upon them. He said this, and then he died. So the whole theme of this chapter in Acts is that God has always wanted to dwell with us, not just from a distant heaven and not just in a church slash temple made with human hands where sacred things get done and sung and sacred things are said. And that's all well and good. But his desire is to dwell with us, to make his home in us as we make our home in him. God spoke this over and over in the scriptures through the prophets, just as we saw what, Je what Stephen had spoken. And that is why Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. A theme right through. The hidden Messiah, as it were. God with us. As Jesus said, I in you and you in me, and I in the Father, the Father in me, and we in you and you in us. It's this dwelling. In the Old Testament, the only way that the Holy Spirit could share God's truth was through the anointed prophets. And the way that God displayed his power was through his divine, supernatural acts of salvation and provision and wonder. All of that Holy Spirit revelation of God's truth and power was strangely rejected by Israel. Nonetheless, God still worked his powerful works of miraculous saving power. Later on, as they went into the promised land, supernaturally overcoming the armies, their enemies in front of their very eyes. God is saying, I believe the same thing to his people in these days. Whether they go to church or not, whether they believe or not, whether they even know God or not, God has sent his Holy Spirit into the world, not just his church. Certainly he sent it into the church and we are there to be able to embody his life-giving spirit he sent the Holy Spirit to us to embody that, but he sent it into the world for a very special reason. So the church can see itself as a temple made with hands if they want to, like bricks and mortar, but God sees his church as his living temple to express his Holy Spirit within 
and amongst his people. And Stephen is still speaking today, saying, do not resist the Holy Spirit. Each person is also a temple of the Holy Spirit. There are scriptures for that in Corinthians. And for those who do not do church, or do not know church, or do not even know God, God has sent the Holy Spirit. You might say, oh no, he sent us. Yeah. And who's in you? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> but he has sent the Holy Spirit to each person. Jesus even told his disciples that it was better for him to go away and leave them so that he could send the Holy Spirit. People that don't even know God have the Holy Spirit working in them. John 16, 7, If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. That scripture has got such depth of meaning. Those three things that he convicts the world of. He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, I want to take those three just for a moment and look at them a little more closely. To convict the world of sin means to reveal to the heart of everyone the sin in their heart. That sin, missing the mark, hamartia, causes them to miss the mark of the target for our life, believing in Jesus. He said, of sin because they don't believe in me. That's the target. To convict the world of righteousness is to reveal to humanity the heart of alignment that Jesus had with the Father, the harmony that he had with the Father, the oneness. And he's wanting to convict the world of this so that the Holy Spirit can make that alignment and harmony with the Father, the desire of our heart as it was with Jesus. Righteousness is not just doing good things. It is an alignment with God in the heart that says, I want to be right in my heart with you. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to have the Holy Spirit reveal what that means to you and how you can be brought into a place of harmony with God through the forgiveness of the sin, through believing, through faith, and you can know the Father. See, the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus, reveals Jesus, and Jesus reveals the Father. That can be happening to you every day. One, two, three. To convict the world of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That means to reveal the overcoming power of Jesus to overcome the darkness and evil that threatens our soul. Just as God overcame the enemy armies that came against Israel, all of that was revealing to Israel the kind of victory 
that they had as his people because of his overcoming power on their behalf. That's what we have. To convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, we can understand the overcoming power of Jesus to shield us from the evil and the darkness that threatens to deceive us. So that's why the Holy Spirit's been sent into the world to accomplish quite a lot in the human soul. Jesus goes on to tell them that when the Holy Spirit came, he would lead them into all truth, taking the things that Jesus says and declaring them to us. And we read that word, if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. When mankind resists the work of that helper that God has sent for us, the result is a troubled soul. That's what the world is for. A troubled soul is the spiritual bank vault of all of the stored up acts of resistance to the helper who is struggling in the inner being of every person on planet Earth to bring God's truth and God's love into their lives. As the scripture declares, the goal of our faith is the saving of the soul. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit struggling to pull them back into what Jesus said he was bringing the Holy Spirit into the world to do. All of those works of revealing who he was to them. But we've all learned, all of us, to make our own helpers. Jesus has sent the helper, and we've got a better idea. We've got helpers to defend ourselves with different kinds of reactions against harm or threats of harm. And these helpers can be very unhelpful to our emotions and our rational thinking and cause our soul a lot of unnecessary suffering. They came into action when we started to grow up. I don't want to be treated like this, so here's what I am going to do. And somewhere, these reactions get stuck in our souls and operate on autopilot. Off we go. Their distress signals are a way that the Holy Spirit tells us that he wants to be our helper and to give us grace to not resist him, but to receive him. When we open our hearts and minds to hear the helper that Jesus and the Father has sent, we begin to experience the salvation of our souls. The helper helps us to hear the message believe the message and to be the message. Help of the helpless, abide with me. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, abide with me. Let's invite the helper in as we sit. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me.